start off the sermon by turning to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And verse 21. We read in verse 21, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. Verse 22, Exodus 12, And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and Dip it in the blood that's in the basin and strike the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. So we... We understand this as the instructions. These are the instructions that God gave to Moses. And Moses gave to the children of Israel before the Passover. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance, verse 24, for you and your sons forever. I'd like you to focus on verse 25 here for a moment. And it will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service, verse 26, and it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. We often talk about the Passover and the instructions and the deliverance and the preparation and all of the things that were associated with the Passover, but we can easily read over the last portion about the children asking what's the purpose of this. I'd like to focus on that a little bit today. Because there's something staring us right in the face in that scripture which we can miss If we just read over it, what was Moses describing? He was describing a father obeying the commandment of God and a child asking a question about it and that father answering and explaining God's way of life. The father explaining God's way of life. It's talking about communication in a family. It's talking about how a family is conveying the truth, how a father is conveying the truth to the next generation. But there's also an implied relationship between the children and that father as well. And that is that they're, they're, they're seeking answers. They're wanting answers. They have a connection They feel safe to ask questions in that home. They're not ridiculed. They're not made fun of. They're not ignored. There's a relationship. We can read over this and and run right on to the next passage, but I think this is very profound when it talks about communication. Healthy, godly, family communication. 
And that brings up a huge topic, and that is, what is our family communication like? What's the style of communication that we have at home? We all communicate. We all have patterns of how we communicate with each other. We all have slightly different ways of communicating and and styles. But do we ever stop and think about it and ask the question, is is the type of communication in my home the healthy, godly communication God wants? That's a question I'd like us all to ask ourselves today. If you'd like a, a title, uh, it's not terribly original. You can probably guess it. Uh, healthy family communication. Healthy family communication. This is not the only place this comes up. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 6 he also mentions this, and this, this type of thing comes up in relation to the, the days of unleavened bread. In the command, he says, verse 6, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Uh, and unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your son in that day. You you shall explain this. You should talk to them about it. You should have a connection. You should have conversation about what you're doing and why you're doing it. You should say in that day, this is done. We're keeping the feast days because of what the Lord did for me when I came out from Egypt. And it will be as a sign for you. On your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. It's interesting that that Moses did not just say, or God did not just say, uh, go to teach all the people, everybody about the laws and the the commandments and the statutes. But rather, Moses said, fathers, go and teach your children. Fathers, teach your families. And mothers, teach your children. You're the ones responsible for spreading the gospel, the good news, for evangelizing, so to speak, your family, our family. What these days mean, how we are to view them. How they, what they mean to us in our, our lives today. You know, uh, there have historically been youth programs in the church for many, many decades. Camp and other uh, summer educational programs and YOU and others. And we have uh, youth programs today. Uh, and so many of our young people have gained and, and adults have gained from the youth programs over the years. I personally have. But you know, camp and every other youth program is only designed to supplement what's going on at home. It's never designed to take the place of the parents. And sometimes it, it you know, we can we can misunderstand it. Sometimes we can, as parents, we can lean on it too much and think, well, the church is taking care of teaching my children. But we 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 ought not do that because. Moses is saying here it's, it's our responsibility. The world says that there is a generation gap. But is there 
really supposed to be a generation gap? Or is that a myth? Is that something that Satan has convinced us to believe is normal? Or, or, or is it supposed to be that fathers and mothers are supposed to transfer the truth to the next generation with a connection and children wanting to know and parents not ridiculing them wanting to know but willing to, to, to share? What a tremendous picture just a couple of scriptures in Exodus show about an opportunity to plant a seed that we parents have, an opportunity to plant a seed in the lives of our young people that will germinate if we nurture it, if we, if we grow it, if we water it, if we take care of it. What if we don't have children? What if we don't have a family? Well... Um, what if we have grandchildren? Uh, do you ever have an opportunity to teach and to, to influence and help your grandchildren to understand the truth, even if you don't have that opportunity with your children? Uh, do your grandchildren ever ask you, those of you who have grandchildren, do they ever ask you questions about life? Do they ever ask you questions about the truth? Do they ever ask you what does the Bible really say? And what do you answer them? How do you answer them? These are precious, priceless opportunities. It's really what he's talking about here. What if we don't have children or grandchildren? Well, are not all of us preparing to be rulers over cities? Are not all of us getting ready to to be kings and priests in the kingdom of God and to be teaching and, and helping, guess what, parents to teach their children. Are we not going to be doing the same thing that Moses was saying here? How many people was Moses talking to? It was a city, wasn't it? Two, three, four million people potentially. So that's going to be up our responsibility very, very soon. So it's good for us to apply our minds to it now because that's going to be a, a major focus over all the earth. Let's go back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. We find he gets a little bit more specific <clears throat> earlier in this chapter, in chapter 6. And he's talking about how to do this. How do we teach our children? How do we convey the truth? How do you make sure that the truth is not lost in one generation? Because it can be if it's not conveyed to the next. He says in verse 1, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you and your son, you and your son, and your grandson. Notice it's something that God wants to be passed down like a legacy, passed down as an inheritance, the truth, all the days of your life. And that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, 
that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he says, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Sounds a little bit New Testament-y, doesn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your, all your might. That doesn't sound very, very Old Testament, you know, legalistic at all. In fact, Jesus Christ quoted from that passage. This is what God wanted. This is what he, he quoted from himself. He, he was the one who was, who was saying these things. And he says, verse 6, And these words which I command you shall be in your heart, as we heard last week. He wants us to have a change of heart. He wants us to, to be different in our heart. He wants a relationship with us. <clears throat> you know, if you think about it, it, it's not just transference of information, is it? God is not just wanting to download information into our brains. He wants a relationship with us. And he wants us to have it with our families. So let's talk about family a little bit today. Let's talk about our, our, our current communication styles, where we are, where we are today, honestly, looking at ourselves, not, not others, but ourselves. And think about, take the rose-colored glasses off and take a good hard look at where we are and where we want to go and, and how we'll get there. And we'll talk about several keys of how we can do this. Number one, number one, key number one is we evaluate healthy family communication is Christ sets the standard. Jesus Christ sets the standard. We must examine our own selves and our own family, not our neighbor's family. Isn't it easy to, you know, think about each other and think about how each other can grow and think about other families can grow as opposed to ours? But no, we're to look at ourselves. What is the nature of our own family? What's, what's happening at home? in our communication. None of us are perfect. We are, we are all struggling in one way or another. We all have highs. We all have lows. We all have obstacles. We all are trying to figure out how to do it. This is the first time we've gone through this life, right? No reincarnation. This is it. This is the first time. We're very inexperienced. So how do we do it? Stephen Covey in the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, says this. <clears throat> Good families, even great families, are off track 90% of the time. Now, don't let me lose you there. Let me just keep listening. He says the key is that they have a sense of destination. They know what the track looks like, and they keep coming back to it time and time again. 
It's like the flight of an airplane. Before the plane takes off, the pilots have a flight plan. They know exactly where they're going, and they start off in accordance with their plan. But during the course of the flight, wind, rain, turbulence, air traffic, human error, and other factors act upon that plane. They move it slightly in different directions so that most of the time the plane is not even on the prescribed flight plan. Think about it. But barring anything too major, the plane will arrive at its destination. Now, how does that happen? During the flight, the pilots receive constant feedback. They receive information from instruments that read the environment, from control towers, even other airplanes. And based on their feedback, they make adjustments so that time and time again, they keep returning to the flight plan. The hope lies not in the deviations, but in the vision, the plan, the ability to get back on track. What a beautiful way to describe our, our Christian walk and even our, our, our walk as a family that we make mistakes, that things are not always perfect, are they, <laughs> at home in our families? And yet we keep evaluating. We keep looking. We keep seeking for feedback. We want feedback. We keep evaluating. And we don't get discouraged when we have setbacks because we're focused on the goal. He says, perhaps you want your children to do their jobs and their homework cheerfully without being reminded. That's a good goal, isn't it? Or you're feeling challenged trying to fulfill combined and apparently conflicting roles in your family life, such as parent, judge, ju uh, jury, jailer, and friend. Parents, have you uh, experienced that, you know? <clears throat> or you're bouncing back and forth between strictness and permissiveness, not knowing how to discipline. Your economic worries may almost overwhelm you and consume all your time and your emotions so that there's hardly anything left for relationships, especially when economics are, are an issue. It could be that the feeling and the spirit in your family is contentious, that you have people quarreling, ignoring, withdrawing, whatever. Is that the state of our, of our families? You know, sometimes it is. Or you may be a grandparent who cares deeply but doesn't know how to help without making things worse. You may be experiencing a combination of many of these stresses. Whatever your situation, it's vitally important that you do not compare your family to any other family. What does the Bible say? It's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. What happens when we do that? Well, we either feel superior or we feel stupid. And either of those doesn't really help us, does it? He says many people think that other families are just about perfect while they're, they're, theirs is falling apart. And that's very hard to deal with, isn't it? When we, we see our own failings we see our own ineptitudes nobody else does but we do and we can feel like everyone else is perfect and their families are perfect yet every family has its challenges its own bag of rocks 
The wonderful thing is that vision is greater than baggage. This means that a sense of what you can envision for the future, a better situation, a better state of being, is more powerful than whatever ugliness has accumulated in the past or whatever situation you're confronting in the present. It's about vision. It's about knowing where we're going. It's about understanding the goal and what God wants and the plans that he lays out for us in general and also specifically in our family. This is what God does for us. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. As we look at our families and we, we think about ourselves, let's not judge one another. Let's not put the microscope on others, the telescope. Let's think about what do I, what do we need to work on? Where do we fall short when we are looking at how we measure up to Jesus Christ? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, and I'm almost there. That's why I keep repeating it. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Now this is talking about, of course, the, 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 the roles of leadership in the church, of, of teaching, of, uh, of authority, of giving direction. But let's apply it into the home because as parents, we are responsible for teaching God's truth at home, aren't we? We just read that in Exodus. We read it in Deuteronomy. That that's our job. So let's apply this to, to ourselves. That, that he has given dads and moms to be leaders in the home. Why? For the equipping of the, of the saints. For the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So that we might be equipping our children. We might be helping them to grow and, 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 and nurturing them and planting seeds and watering those seeds. So that eventually they have a, a relationship with God. Eventually they come to wanting to submit to their Savior. Wanting to have a selfless attitude like we heard in the sermonette. Wanting to be a car a pillar in God's church and ultimately to be in the kingdom till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so we have to ask ourselves how does my family reflect Jesus Christ how much of Jesus Christ is living in my family, in, in what happens in my home, what happens be, behind my door? Not anybody else's family. They're not my responsibility. What's happening when we go home? And how does it measure up to, to Christ? The, the, the conclusion is we all fail. The conclusion is none of us measure up to Christ. So we've all got to get to work. We all have to, to figure out where do we fall short and, and how can we grow, asking for God's help. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, 
in the cunning craftiness in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things in him who is the head, Christ. You know, truth has to be a hallmark, has to be a fundamental foundation of our home as we're seeking to, to, to measure up to what Jesus Christ would do if he had a home on this earth. It has to start with truth, doesn't it? We have to speak the truth. We have to live the truth. We have to teach our children the truth. You know, many, many years ago, <clears throat> someone, a very wise person, um, told me, that one of the things that you've got to teach children is to tell the truth. And you know, a lot of children will test that. They, they will... They will test whether you're serious about that rule. But brethren, if we as parents, if we don't get on that when children are small, if we don't require it as a non-negotiable that in our house the truth has to be told, they're going to have huge problems later on. It's going to be difficult for them to have a relationship with, with anyone else in the world, in the outside world, with a boss, with a mate, their own family. A difficult time having a relationship with God himself. Because how can we repent of sin if we don't acknowledge it in ourselves? So when, when we see lying, we have to deal with it quickly. Absolutely. Now, again, does it mean children are perfect? No. <laughs> they make mistakes. And we have to figure out how to work with them. But it absolutely has to be something that we, we don't tolerate. But notice also he said, speaking the truth in love. Everything that happens in our Family, do we, do we crack down with the rod of iron? No. It's applied with love. It's applied with kindness. It's applied with gentleness. It's applied with as, as little authority as will do the job. It's done in love. We speak the truth, but we do it in love. And we... As parents, we're, we're striving to learn to do that, aren't we? And we are a work in progress, just like our children are a work in progress. And thankfully, our children are patient with us, too. Well, we hope they are. And that's why we want to be patient with our, our children. But the point is to always make every opportunity, use every opportunity as a teaching opportunity, not just... Not just knee-jerk reactions. <clears throat> you know, if we have a situation where we have to discipline our children, maybe in the heat of the moment we would consign them to a hundred years of no computer, right? A hundred years. Why? <laughs> we know we're not going to enforce that. Why, why say anything that we're not going to enforce? It, that's of no value. 
better to say, look, let me step back a little bit. Let me think about it. My emotions are a little bit high right now. And, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit. The point is we're all a work in progress. And everything we do is supposed to be motivated by love. And it has to be. We must not compromise on the truth, but we must speak the truth in love. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, but from, who, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is a beautiful passage. I really enjoy reading this, and I think it's so applicable in a family because you, you want your children to, over time, to that they contribute to the environment of the family. That no longer is it just mom and dad trying to, to inject, you know, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. But eventually, eventually, if the, the hope is that children will, will catch the vision and they will start injecting glimpses of the fruits of the Spirit. And parents, isn't that exciting when you see glimpses of it that they are starting to contribute to the, to the family? What every joint supplies. <clears throat> so we're all striving to measure up to the example of Jesus Christ, not to, not, not to an image of, of what we think should be because of what someone else does. We've got to leave that behind. We've got to leave that behind. Number two, another key in, in building healthy, godly family communication is everyone is treated with dignity. Everyone in the family is treated with dignity. Everyone gets treated with respect. Notice in James chapter 3 and verse 1. Do we treat each other with dignity, brethren? You know, when we have to deal with situations, do we still give each other honor of being a, a son, a daughter of God, made in the image of God, with the potential to be God? That's very powerful. James chapter 3 and verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. It's interesting that he relates leadership with stumbling and, and, and striving to not make mistakes in what we say. Because there's a stricter judgment. You know, as soon as we have leadership in the home, everything we say our kids are on top of, Right? And and they'll and they'll they'll catch it if we uh, if we don't act on what we what we said. Their hypocrisy meter goes way up, right? But we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. 
Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. What are some of the biggest conflicts that happen in the home? Why do they happen? Because of this little thing in our mouth. Well, it's not just the tongue. It's actually words that start in our brain, and they just seem to, to, to exude out. It's because of what we say. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. You know, it, it's, it's a natural thing. It's totally natural for us, for our words to get us into trouble because we're carnal. We have human nature. Totally natural, but uh, they can sort of uh, bring us to a place we don't want to be. For every kind of beast of, and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of de- deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. What about us? Do we treat everyone with dignity in the family? Verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not, does not descend from above, but is earthly and sensual and demonic for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. There, there is a way of communicating that is not from God, that is not godly, that is not motivated by His, His Holy Spirit. And we don't, we don't want to fall into that trap. On the other hand, verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So the point is, how are we using our tongues in our homes? Are we treating everyone with respect? There are two different ways of life. There are two different ways of communicating. That's really what it comes down to. Only two different ways to communicate. One is the godly way, and one is a very ungodly way. Ephesians chapter 6. Notice Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Children, honor your parents. It's one of the big ten. It's one of the ten commandments. It's the first commandment with promise. Quote, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Young people, it's your responsibility to show honor to your parents. And, and how is one of the best ways that you do that? In your words, in what you say, are you careful with what you say to your parents? You know, not talking back to your parents, not complaining about your parents. When they speak to you, acknowledging them, not ignoring them, not rolling your eyes at them. You know, you can communicate a lot without even talking, you know. The roll of the eyes. Oh, they know exactly. And how does that, how's that working for you when that happens? The parents don't like it very much, do they? They know exactly what it means. But here's the problem, young people. The world's influence is constantly telling you you don't have to respect anyone. You don't have to let anybody limit what you say. In fact, it's a free country. <clears throat> you have freedom of speech. Nobody can control your speech. Isn't that right? That's what the world says. Hold your place there for a moment because <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 30 has a Interesting commentary on a generation that uses its, its words in a very, very ungodly way. And we're living in that generation, by the way. That influence is, is pressuring on us all the time. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 11, it says, There's a generation that curses its father does not bless its mother. There's a generation that's pure in its own eyes. that They could never be the ones uh, to blame. This is the world we live in. This is the product. We are a product of this world. And without God's help, we would be this. And sometimes we fall back into <laughs> shades of this. Yet it's not washed from its filthiness. There's a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There's a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. I think we all understand this is the world out there today where words are used to cut and slice and slash and destroy. And you know, our generation, before too long, we understand the, the, the scope of prophecy, and, and our generation is going to be taken captive and going to be in work camps and concentration camps, and suddenly my generation is going to have to learn that yes, there's a time when, when you will be stopped from saying certain things. If there's a guard with a gun and will smack someone across the face with the butt of a gun. And suddenly freedom of speech will be no more. 
Our people today are squandering it and not using it rightly. But what about us and what about our young people, our, our youth, our children? There's a tremendous promise for those who learn to use speech well and rightly and not to destroy and not to be cruel. You know, another proverb, I think, uh, talks about the, the, the tongue of the, the one that mocks its father and mother will be cut out. I mean, no, the Bible doesn't mince words about this sort of thing. So what is our communication like? Young people, please be careful. <clears throat> please be careful. Don't repeat the cycle of, of, of the, the cruelty and being cool uh, in the world uh, just because sometimes we may experience that. But God wants us to learn a different way. If we go back to Ephesians chapter uh, 6 and verse 4, we we see another aspect of this, another angle. He says, not only do, do, do our children to obey your parents and the Lord for this is right, but verse 4, he says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This isn't saying don't discipline your children. It's not saying don't deal with, with issues as they come up. Proverbs is full of you know, examples and exhortations that we, we've got to teach our children, and once in a while that means correct. But provoking them to wrath means, or not provoking them to wrath means, we, we always do it with a teaching perspective that we're trying to help them to understand what went wrong and what's the lesson, not just lashing out. How can I show them, even my children, the dignity of being a human being. Very important as a parent. You know, one of the things that my wife uh, has always appreciated about her dad when she was growing up, especially as an older teenager, <clears throat> that from time to time she would um, talk to her dad about issues and you know of the day and world news and, and and things and, and have her opinion. And, and uh, he wouldn't just sort of brush her opinion off to the side. He would actually listen to her. And even if she was way off base, you know, she may have not have felt like she was off base, but uh, <clears throat> even if she knew, she, she said this, even if she knew that her, her opinion really didn't make any sense, but her, her father treated it with respect. And you know, that means a lot as a teenager, doesn't it? When you're, you're, you're trying to formulate your, your opinions about life, you're trying to understand where do I fit in and what do I think? And sometimes you throw out opinions and later on you sort of scratch your head and, well, I, I don't know what that really meant anyway, but, but it, it was your opinion. And if we are wise as parents, we don't just swap those aside. Especially as they get older, we, we, we treat their opinions as opinions of, of a human being. How important is that? Parents, there, there's a delicate balance here to, to achieve, and it's difficult. You know, we're always correcting just like that airplane. 
But that's the goal, and that's the challenge. <clears throat> as, a, as a father, let's turn over to Second um, uh, Peter. Second Peter. First uh, Peter, sorry, First Peter, chapter three. In verse one, he says, "Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear." Notice verse seven: Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Isn't it interesting that God says, husbands, if you're in a, a leadership role, and you are in your home, you give honor to the wife. Even though she is in a lower position as far as overall authority. You give honor to the one who is in lesser authority. Would we not then also... <clears throat> Give honor to our children for being a, a, a human being made in the image of God. No, they don't have the same authority that we have. But Peter is saying that we have to be very, very careful in leadership to give honor even to those who are under us in that sense. Jesus Christ, <clears throat> it's interesting how he treated his disciples. Notice in uh, Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. Luke chapter 11 and verse, verse 1. Did he treat the disciples with dignity? With human, um, you know, a, a, an amount of respect and honor as a human being? He corrected them. There were times when he corrected them pretty firmly. But notice... In Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So one of them asked him, teach us to pray. What if he would have said, you've got to be kidding me. You have not figured out how to pray all the time, you know. Hey, everybody, Bartholomew here doesn't know how to pray. How stupid is that? It doesn't say Bartholomew, but you know. Did Jesus treat his disciples that way? Of course not. He corrected them from time to time. But he didn't belittle them. Parents, we have to be very, very careful that we have that mindset as well. We treat everybody in the home with dignity. Number three, a third key. Number three in, in healthy family communication is that healthy communication is 24-7. It never stops. We're always on the job. Day and night. It's not just a lecture from time to time. <laughs> and then we feel like our job is over. Healthy communication is a day and night responsibility. We're always on call. Dr. Jeff Fall 
talks about in the um, the booklet. <clears throat> Successful parenting God's way. And by the way, if you haven't read this in a while, very, very helpful booklet. <clears throat> and I'm not just saying that because he's my father-in-law. He is my father-in-law, but um, it's an excellent, excellent explanation of, of helping children to, to be to be grow and and, and, and and be conformed to God's image, that that's the goal, that we want them to be like God. He says, all too often, parents tend to compartmentalize God in their family life. We view the Christian walk as composed of certain Christ-like behavior patterns, church services, and perhaps occasional family Bible studies. In truth, this is a good start, but there's far more to creating a culture of God within our homes. Do we have a culture of God in our homes? That's the question. If we visualize our entire family life as a pie chart, most would view the spiritual aspect of parenting as a small percentage of the whole, simply a small piece of the pie. In contrast, if we truly do want to rear children in God's image, then the spiritual focus must encompass the entire pie. The the focus of how we're doing it is everything. It includes everything we do from the time that we wake up to the time we go to bed at night. In fact, let's go over there because Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about that. How exactly are we supposed to teach our children? What are the situations that we're supposed to be talking about God's way. Is it just on the way to church? Is it just, maybe we don't even have to do it. Maybe it's just listen to the guy up there with the suit and tie and, and uh, our responsibility is done. That's not what the book says. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse We read before, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. God said, I command you to have a relationship with me, to understand and come to know me because I want to know you. He said, these words which I command you today will be in your heart. I don't want them just written on tables of stone. I want them in you. And by the way, I want this to connect to your children as well. He says, verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What was he saying? Today we say 24-7, you know. This was Moses' way of saying that. He says, you always do it. You're always communicating about the truth, about God's way, nonstop. Not lecturing nonstop, but communicating nonstop. Everything is in the context of our life in Jesus Christ. He says, talk about Loving my way of life when you rise up. The first thing you do every day. Pray to me personally. Read your Bible. And and if at all possible, he's saying, get the family together and have a vehicle where we start the day off focused on God. You know, if at all possible, and I, you know, sometimes schedules do not permit it, but if we eat together, that's a fantastic way to start the day. 
and to pray and, and have a blessing and let one of the children ask the blessing. And sometimes you find out amazing things when they ask the blessing, you know, of the things that are going on in their mind. One father I know uh, says that at breakfast he pulls out the Bible and reads a proverb and they, and they talk about it. And he asks them, what do you think about that? What does that mean to you? And they, and they talk about it. You know, if, 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 if that fits and works with our schedule, that's a fantastic way to do it. That's what he's, he's talking about. What about the end of the day? <clears throat> when you lie down, well, what does that mean? Well, at the end of the day, we go to bed, right? I can remember one of my earliest memories of my mother and dad getting down with all of us, uh, lined up along their bed, kneeling down and praying before we went to bed. And it started with dad, and then mother, and then the oldest, and the next. I was at the very end. So I got to hear all of it, all kinds of really good ideas of things to pray about by the time it came to me. (laughs) You know, I was probably three or four. And that meant a lot to me. And it made an impact on me. Moses said, look for ways to bring God into the dialogue of the family at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. Also, he said, talk about God when you sit in your house. Well, when does that happen? Usually at the end of the day, right? Dad comes home. uh, The work of the day is finished. School's over. Everyone's home. But what happens if we don't proactively think this through ahead of time? Well, if we happen to be in the same room, which may not happen, dad's on his laptop, mom's on Facebook, brother is on a game, and sister's texting her friend, right? And we're all in the same room, but we're talking to everybody all over the world, not to the people that are in our family. Now, notice I'm not just railing on the teens, please. We all have to think about this. We all are doing it to one degree or another. We all can fall into it to one degree or another. From time to time, my, my wife has to remind me that, you know, you're working all day. Don't, why are you doing emails at home? This is our time to, to be together. Most of the time I don't, but sometimes I fall back into that, and it's a helpful reminder. You know, a prime opportunity to connect. And Satan has it geared so that the the people we care about the most, we're not connecting to. The prime opportunity, the, the one time in the day when we could talk, when we could have conversation, And all this other stuff takes over. There's so many articles that have come out in recent years on the importance of of one-on-one face-to-face communication. Here's one a couple years ago. A new study finds that media multitasking can hurt social and emotional development in preteen girls. And the researchers found a simple remedy, face-to-face talks. It doesn't cost a thing. It just takes a little time 
in doing it. Researchers speculate that kids learn to interpret emotions in part by watching the faces of other people, which helps make them more comfortable socially. Isn't it ironic that in a time, you know, in, in, in a person's life when they're in their teens and sometimes they don't feel like they have their identity yet, they don't feel comfortable in social situations, that Satan has geared it so they're sucked into devices that actually hamper them from developing and, and feeling more confident socially. And that's what the research shows. And if we as parents aren't proactive about that, if we just let it happen, we're missing an opportunity. I'm not saying throw all the cell phones in the river. You know? I'm not saying it at all. What we need to do is monitor it. We need to gauge it. We need to have this constant uh, ability to, to keep altering our, our flight plan. <clears throat> if something's not working, we need to face it and and think about how to do it better. We need to create times in the day when the devices are off and out of reach. And we talk. We talk. We talk as a family. You know, how can we talk about God and His way if we're not talking in the first place? I'll never forget when one of our girls was little and she was sitting on my lap at the end of the day and she was talking about her day and I was reading an article and I was going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <clears throat> and finally she stopped and she grabbed my cheeks and she turned them like this said, Daddy, are you listening? <laughs> I put down my article and I said, yes, I'm listening now. Point taken. Checkmate. I never forgot that. <clears throat> she needed to look me in the eye. And you know what? I need it too. I need it too. There's another article <clears throat> by a lady that, that said, when uh, Victoria Secunda, author of Women and Their Fathers, researched her book on women and their fathers, thus the name, Women and Their Fathers, she found that by far the most common pattern of fathering is to be emotionally distant even when present in the home. Tragically, a dad's lack of attention undermines a daughter's self-esteem. The effects on her relationships can be devastating. Quote, numerous research studies indicate, says Secunda, that women who have difficulty sustaining a mutually loving and fulfilling attachment with a man almost always had fathers who could not be counted on or who were emotionally or physically unavailable when they were growing up. How desperately our children need us, even if they don't say it, to communicate. Now, can God make up for and, and heal us, you know, make up for scars and heal us emotionally? When we have lack in our childhood, of course, of course, and he does do that. But if we have the opportunity as moms and dads, why not focus on the opportunity to really make a connection with our, our children? There's so much evidence. Here's another one. <clears throat> Every few years, the Partnership for a Drug-Free New Jersey has commissioned a study on substance abuse asking more than 3,000 
Seventh and eighth graders, their opinions and attitudes. A result from the most recent survey, kids who communicate almost every day with their parents about any subject, not just drugs, are 67% less likely to use marijuana than those who don't communicate as often. Talk, 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 talk. That's what God wants us to do in a family. in the context of his way, in the context of his laws, not just lecturing all the time. There was another study where girls were put in a stress test, and then after that they were asked to contact their mother. And some of them, they had different uh, categories. Some of them contacted their mother by texting. Some contacted their mother by calling them on the phone. Uh, Some didn't contact their mother at all, and some contacted their mother by having verbal and physical contact. And then after that, they went through the stress test again. And what happened? They, They measured the cortisol levels afterwards, which is a stress hormone, and those who had either called their mothers on the phone and heard their actual voice or had physical and verbal contact directly eye to eye, their stress hormones went down. And their oxytocin levels went up. And that's a chemical that is released that has to do with bonding that is very, very important in in our human relationships. How important is it that we have face-to-face? Absolutely vital. I mean, God, God knew this thousands of years ago. And this was what Moses was talking about. We've got to have contact day in and day out. What about if you are sitting in your house and what if you like to watch TV from time to time? You know, what about putting on the pause and muting it from time to time and talking about what you've been watching? And talking about what they're portraying and talking about are they really showing the consequences of those actions? And talking about why did they do that right there? What's behind it? And, and some fascinating conversations sort of spin off from that. You know, that's, a, that's a prime example of, of being able to help children to observe and learn and, 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 and uh, make conclusions about the world around them. And be able to sift through Satan's message. What else do we do when we sit in our house? Well, we can eat together. Studies have shown that children who eat regularly with their parents, at least several times a week, consistently have better grades, uh, get in trouble less, um, less likely to get into drugs, less likely to be promiscuous. It all ties in. Now, again... If dad's on the laptop and mother's on Facebook and, you know, sister's texting and and brother's gaming while you're eating, it's all negated. (laughs) That doesn't help at all. You've got to turn those things off because we need to talk. He says walking by the way. We don't walk by the way a whole lot in our culture today, but we do drive. And driving is a wonderful way to to talk about the world and make observations and say, you know, 
there's a homeless man right there. How, how did he get there? What happened and, and, and in his life? And in the future, we're going to have an opportunity to help all these people. And, and what are you going to do about it? How are you going to help people who, who have no help in this age? You know, incredible opportunities to, to make observations about our world around us. It's not just all lecture, it's, it's talking. Every moment we have. <clears throat> you know, this is another reason under most circumstances for, for wives and mothers to be home. It's so advantageous, if at all possible. So mom, so, so she can capture those moments with children. Young men, go all out to to try to get a career where you can support a wife someday so she can stay home and be home with those children to capture those moments and be there as much as possible. Every moment counts because who else is broadcasting every moment? Satan the devil, and he never stops. We know that he's the prince of the power of the air. He's on 24-7. He's on every channel. You can pick it up. The, dial, the, the, the signal is never fuzzy. So are we using every moment possible to try to counteract it? If you ever look up the, the word medium, you know, we talk about the media. Well, the media does this and says this and this... What does the word medium mean? Webster, Merriam-Webster defines it as a substance regarded as the means of transmission of a force or effect. A medium is simply a mechanism to transfer something. So the media is transferring something all right. It's a constant barrage of Satan's message. Notice in Galatians chapter 5. Is it any wonder why we need to be talking to our children as much as possible? And Moses said, when you lie down, when you raise up, when you're walking by the way, when you're sitting in your house. Because there is definitely a message that is being conveyed by Satan's broadcasting system. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You know, we have a tremendous opportunity in front of us as parents, as brethren. Whatever opportunity we have to work with young people, even if it's into the future, even if we are preparing for someday ruling over a city of two or three million people, we're going to have to tell the... The, the fathers and mothers, how to do it. He says, use your liberty not as an occasion to the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the, the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You know, if we're biting and devouring one another at home, he, he's not talking about taking a chunk out of someone's shoulder and eating it, right? He's talking about words that cut and slice and slash. 
And then he talks about the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy. This is the package that Satan is bringing into our home through the media, through whatever means. And our homes are like sponges today. No longer are the, are the walls firm. They're porous because of all the, the inputs we have. We've got to have a way to counteract that. Idolatry, sorcery, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, of the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's serious. Every opportunity we have to influence our children to be able to fight off the constant onslaught of Satan the devil, we've got to grab and take advantage of it. And then we need to make our homes and build something else in our homes with the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You know, an environment of hope and peace and tranquility. Yes, sometimes conflict. Yes, sometimes chaos. But we work through it and we keep striving for having the fruits that God wants us to have. Given our situation, given our limitations, given our frailties, and we all have them. But this is what we're, we're seeking after. This is what we need. This is what God <clears throat> wants us to have, and, and, it, and it's within our grasp. With his help, with his Holy Spirit, he can help us to, to fend off the attacks of the devil. And we've got to do it. Isaiah chapter 38, notice. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 38. So what is the state of our family communication, brethren? Again, not to compare with the Joneses and the Smiths, but rather to compare with what God wants. And we all fall short, so we all have to work on it, don't we? We all have to keep getting feedback from the control tower. We all have to keep looking at this book and say, okay, where have we uh, gotten a little, off, you know, little off bubble on this? We need to make adjustments. We need to sit down and talk about it. We maybe get everybody around and talk about it. Hey, we're going to... We need to talk about where we are as a family and where we'd like to be. You know, what differences, what changes that, that we can all make together. He says in Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 19, this is after Hezekiah was healed of his disease and he was given 15 more, more years and he, he, um, he wrote this <clears throat> thankful uh, message about being thankful to God. He says, finally, verse uh, verse 18, For Sheol cannot thank you, death cannot praise you, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. The Father shall make known your truth to 
the children. God takes it very, very seriously that the truth is transferred on to the next generation. The whole way of life, not just haranguing, not just lecturing, but transferring the testimonies of our life. You know, Dr. Fall brings that out in his booklet on, on child rearing about how many testimonies each family has about how God has intervened in our life. And it's good to review those stories. Just like there are testimonies in the Bible about God's faithfulness, notice over in Joel. Joel chapter 1 and verse verse 1. You need to tell and retell and retell the stories of how great God is and how He has given us so much and how He has delivered us from our Egypt and how He's the one who gives us blessings. And they come from Him and not we ourselves and we did not make ourselves and we do not give ourselves the ability to have the means that we have even financially and materially. We need, to, we need to retell those stories. Those are testimonies. Chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. Now he's talking about the things that were happening at that time. But what has happened in your life? What are the testimonies that, that, that strengthen your faith? We need to pass those on to our, our children. And someday, as we know things that are going to happen here in the very short future, a lot of things are going to happen where we're going to need God's protection. And undoubtedly, He's going to work a lot of miracles in the lives of God's people. And won't it be exciting on the other side of these prophetic days in the millennium when we will be able to tell our people at that time, look at all the things that God did in my lifetime. Look at how he got us through the end of days, the end times, the worst time of trouble in history. And yet he was faithful. Let's turn over in in conclusion to Psalm 78. Nobody's perfect. No family is perfect. Everyone is a work in progress. We all understand that. We all have highs and lows. And in a family, we see all the highs and lows, don't we? We see the good, the bad, and the ugly. More than we really want to see. But at the same time, we have an awesome opportunity to grow and love and develop good patterns of communication in our family. I think that scripture is, the the scripture shows us what God is wanting and what's attainable. It's not just an unrealistic ideal that we can't, you know, it's off pie in the sky. No, it's what God wants in every family and we all can improve. We all can grow. 
We all can make steps toward what, what he wants, no matter what our obstacles are. Psalm 78 and verse 1. Notice he says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. Interesting the way it says this. We will not hide them from their, our fathers' children. You know, the leadership of the congregation, the leadership of the church, has a responsibility to remind us as parents to teach our children. Has a, to remind us what our obligations are at home. We will not hide them from their children telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He's done. He established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers, that they should make known them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Brethren, we as parents, we as brethren, all of us, in whatever opportunities we have to work with children, whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, or whether it's in the future kingdom, We have a responsibility. Way back at the Exodus over 3,000 years ago, God told Moses to instruct the Israelites about the Passover. But really he showed a picture of what family communication should be like and what he wants to be going on in our families. That Christ is the standard, that we treat everybody with respect, and we work at it every day tirelessly, tirelessly, until we don't have breath. Let's focus on that goal. God has a tremendous plan for all families, we know that, but also for us individually in our personal family. But we've got to do our part and work towards it becoming a place of peace and hope and love. And, of course, that's the goal of godly, healthy communication in the family.